season. Hey, we're going to jump into our text today. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 18 to 27. And we have been looking at, at people who encounter Jesus in the Bible. And we've been considering what it means to follow him. And we come to the last of the characters in this sermon series before we jump into our Advent series next week. And I... I think that this last character has something important to end our series on as we consider what it means to follow Jesus. Here we have a rich young ruler, and so Luke 18, verses 18 to 27, hear the word of the Lord. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one Thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we've been considering what it means to follow you. And maybe there's one more piece that needs to click this morning. And Lord, I, I don't presume to know what space of life everyone in this room is in, but I do presume to know that we all need you. We need you to be our leader. And so I pray by your Holy Spirit this morning that you would encounter us just as you encountered this rich young ruler. And that Jesus, you would speak to us the words of life just as you spoke them to him that day. And Jesus, we pray that the things that are impossible for us, you would make possible. Through the power of your Holy Spirit and your love, we pray. Amen. Church, I want to be successful. As a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, as a human being, I want to be successful. And I'm guessing uh, that you want to be successful at something too. We all do, don't we? We want to be successful. I don't think there's anything wrong with that kind of ambition in life. And if I could fine-tune my life, I think that I would want the brains of Stephen Hawking 
The courage of Rosa Parks, the money of Jeff Bezos, and the looks of Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> I say that because I know what my wife thinks of Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> and every generation has its own prevailing idea of what success looks like. Now, this is a gross generalization, but maybe it hits home for you in your unique generation. Because every generation has its own idea of success. In general, for a baby boomer, success looks like having financial security in your retirement. That's the definition of success. For Gen Xers like myself, success is defined by, by personal achievements and, and this mantra that you work hard and play hard. That's success. For millennials, success means doing the things that you really like to do in life, being able to just do those things. And for Gen Zs, success is, is about being true to your inner self. Here we have four different generations that span 80 years that all have a very different picture of what success is. And as we enter into this encounter with Jesus in Luke chapter 18, we begin with a man who was the picture of success in his time. Verse 18 introduces him as a certain ruler. He was a ruler. He was an authority. He was a person that had power. In verse 23, we learn that, that he was very wealthy. He had money. He was a success. And when Matthew tells this same story in his gospel, he adds one more detail that we don't read in Luke, that he was a young man. So here is a rich, young ruler. And I'm guessing for many of us here, we, we would like that kind of success. I mean, how many of you in here want to be young? <laughs> or wealthy? Or have power and authority? Not, not to do harmful things, but to do good things. We, we want these particular things. Here is a triple threat guy we're dealing with in the Scriptures. I suspect he was good looking as well. It seems that, that we are dealing with a person who, by all accounts, has it all together. A successful career, financial success, and we see in the text that he also was morally successful. He was a good person. Verse 21 says that this man, he kept the commandments since he was a boy. Here is a man who, who did his best to be kind he did good all his life. I picture this man as someone that, that others aspired to be like, successful. And it begs the question, what does one need to be successful in life? And so this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks, good teacher, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? You see, despite all of his earthly success, despite all that he has going for himself, there is still something missing in this man's life. 
despite the retirement plan, despite the achievements he's earned, despite the freedom that he enjoys in life, despite his wealth, he felt like something is missing. And he comes to Jesus and he asks, Jesus, how can I secure a future for myself with God? How can I be part of, of God's everlasting kingdom? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And here is the question that every hope to be successful person must ask themselves. What if there is more to a successful life than things like wealth and freedom? What if there's even more to being successful than having good relationships with our family and our friends? What if there's more to success than, than, than the things that we experience on this earth? Here is a man who by all accounts has everything a person might want in life, but there's still something missing. And you know what? This is a common story for all of us. We, we all feel something of that nature despite all of the good things that we have. Despite all of it, we sometimes live with a craving for more, like something is missing. C.S. Lewis famously said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So you can have all the success in the world, but still be unsuccessful because you were made for more than this world. You were made for God. You were made to know Him and enjoy Him, both now and forever. And until you sort out that peace, until you ask Jesus the question that this rich, restless, young ruler is asking, you will always fall short of success. And so he asked Jesus, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? How can I add this, this missing piece to my life? And Jesus answered, well, follow the commandments of God. The ones he set out for you, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't, don't tell lies, honor your parents. And the man replies and he says, well, Jesus, I've done all those things. I've done them since I was a child. That's not what's missing. And at this point in the encounter with Jesus, I, I imagine a pause as Jesus looks into the eyes of this man with deep love in his heart. You know, when Mark tells this same story, he adds a detail that we don't read in Luke. And Mark says, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. What comes next is pure love. Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. Yes, despite all that you have, you are indeed missing something. And he says, sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
If they were in a room, you could imagine the air going out of it. That certainly wasn't what the man was hoping to hear. In fact, we're told in verse 23 that when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And maybe sad is, is an understatement here. Because the Greek word is perilupos, and it means exceedingly sorrowful or grieved to the heart. Jesus told this man what he needed to do, and the man grieved in his heart because of the answer. He was full of exceeding sorrow. And here is a detail that no disciple of Jesus should ever miss. Sometimes, when we come to Jesus, we leave disappointed. Because sometimes Jesus says things that we don't want to hear. Sometimes a genuine encounter with Christ doesn't lift us up to heaven. It brings us down to earth. I, I took my car to the mechanic a few weeks ago, and, uh, and you know how that goes sometimes. <laughs> he told me that I had to do a lot of work on the car, and, and I was disappointed because it was going to cost a few thousand dollars to get it fixed. And, and so I asked, well, what happens if I don't get the work done? <laughs> and he simply smiled, and he said, well, Keith, your car will stop working. <laughs> See, sometimes we need to hear something that we don't want to hear from our mechanic and from our God. But that's what love looks like. Love looks like someone telling you what you really need to hear, whether you like to hear it or not. And Jesus, he needs to do that to each one of us from time to time, to speak a word that we may not like, to burst our bubble and bring us into the truth. He needs to speak a word of correction, a word of rebuke, a word that confronts us and, and challenges us. Jesus says things like, like, don't simply love your family, love your enemy. He says, Forgive those who've wronged you. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He asks us to surrender and submit. Oh, we don't like those words. He asks us to surrender and submit and do all manner of things that, quite frankly, we'd rather not have to deal with. He tells us how to order our lives, our sexuality, our finances, our flesh, our relationships, our inner life. Sometimes Jesus loves us by telling us what we don't want to hear. And if you haven't heard that kind of word from Jesus in your own life, let me say this with great sensitivity but force. I want to suggest that you're not paying close enough attention. We all need to hear Jesus in this way from time to time because it's the only way to full and abundant life, life everlasting. 
not simply in the future, but in our present. Sometimes Jesus' words are hard to hear. And when they sound hard, you probably have a good indication that it's Jesus speaking and not some other voice. And so Jesus looks with love at this man and he says, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. What do you think that one thing is? I mean, this man had everything, and Jesus says, you still lack one thing. What is missing in his life? What is the one thing lacking when it comes to his success? Now, some people believe that the one thing lacking is this man's proper understanding of the gospel that Jesus came announcing. This man, he's come to think that, that a person can earn their way into God's kingdom. The good deeds can secure your success with God. And this is a common belief in, in our world. It, it's, it's a common belief in, in both the religious and the secular people alike. And it's the idea that if you are a good person in life, you're somehow deserving of good things in return. It's a common belief. We see it in this man, but we see it in other places. We see it in every major world religion, right? Islam says, if you follow the Quran, then Allah will accept you. Judaism says, if, if you follow the law, you will live under the blessings of Yahweh. Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, they all carry some form of this term karma, the idea that if you do good, then good things will come to you in the future. This is rooted in, 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 in the major religious ideas of the day, that, that we are owed some good if we do good. But it's not simply a religious idea. It's rooted in our non-religious culture as well. It's all over the place. Taylor Swift captures it in her music. And for the record, I'm a fan. I've got a teenage daughter, okay? And I am a fan. I'm, I'm fascinated with, with her lyrics. They're beautiful and challenging. And Tay-Tay sings. <laughs> I keep my side of the street clean. Ooh, what a lyric. I do good. I keep my side of the street clean. Karma is my boyfriend. Me and karma vibe like that. And the flip side, if you do bad things, then bad things will happen. She continues to sing. Ask me why so many fade, but I'm still here. Because karma is the thunder rattling the ground. Karma's on your scent like a bounty hunter. Karma's going to track you down, step by step from town to town. She's saying that that her success is because of her goodness and her foe's failures are because of their lack of good deeds. You see, religious or not, we live with this idea that good things follow our good deeds. That, that if I live a good life, I can expect good outcomes in return. That God rewards us for our good deeds. But Jesus, 
Jesus is not like any other religious system. He, he, he can't be put in a religious box, and he bursts the bubble. He says to this good man and to Taylor Swift alike, your good deeds don't earn you success with God, and they won't gain you entrance into the kingdom. Karma won't get you anywhere. See, these other worldviews, they won't get you anywhere with God either. Goodness can't be the criteria because only God is truly good. Only God measures up to the standard of heaven. Everyone else falls short. I fall short. You fall short. We all fall short. Goodness cannot be the criteria because only God is good. And so what is the one thing this man is missing? Well, we see it in what comes next. Jesus says to him, sell everything you have, then come follow me. Jesus is saying, give up your God, then follow the one true God. Do you hear it? Sell everything you have, money is your God, and follow me, the only God who can lead you into life. You see, money was this man's God, and it was the Lord and the leader of his life. Money was the object of his affections. It was the force that drove his decisions and his actions. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be part of my kingdom, there can only be one God in your life, and it needs to be the only true God there is. Sell all that you have and follow me. What's the one thing the man is missing? Well, he's missing the Lord. He has the wrong Lord in his life. Church, who is Lord in your life? Who or what is Lord in your life? Who or what gets to call the shots? Who or what is the object of your affections? Who or what guides your decisions and, and, and directs your actions? Is it money? Like this rich young ruler, it was money for him. Or is it something else? Something else that, that God is saying to you that you need to get rid of that because it's ruining your life. David Foster Wallace, who is a university professor of English, he's a non-Christian man, and, and he said the following, I want to read this, from a graduation speech at Kenyon College in Ohio. This is what he said in his address to the graduating class. He said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty 
and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. We all worship something, and that something really matters. It becomes the Lord and the leader of your life. It calls the shots. It guides your decisions, your actions. It determines the outcome of your life. And so, church, let me ask again. Who is the Lord and leader of your life? Is it money? Or your career? Is it power? Or maybe it's a relationship. A boy that you would trade your Christian commitments just to be with? Or is your sexuality Lord and leader of your life? Your attractions, your inner feelings, do they call the shots? Are they leading the way? Or is beauty your Lord? Or the friends around you even, do they get to direct your steps? I find it interesting that this story in Scripture, in, in verse 18, it begins with three simple words. <laughs> the whole story can be summed up with these three words. A certain ruler. A certain ruler. This is the central question of the story. Who is the certain ruler in your life? Who is the Lord and leader? And Jesus is saying, if the one true Lord is missing in your life, you'll never know success with God. You'll never enter the kingdom of God. And this is a hard message for, for so many of us. And it's hard because most of us want Jesus as our Savior, but not as our Lord. You see, a Savior helps us in our, our time of need, but, but a Lord demands something from us. <laughs> Am I right? Imagine you're in debt. And this isn't too hard to imagine. According to StatsCan, uh, over 73% of Canadians are in debt. So this, this should apply to most of us in this room. Imagine you're in debt. Imagine you're buried in debt with no way out. And you're going further and further in the hole every month. But then someone comes to you and forgives your loan. And they pay your debt completely. They write a check and it's, it's gone. They save you from your big problem. I mean, what a gift. They are a savior. But then imagine that that same person begins to tell you all that you need to do. They, they come to you and say, you need to sell your car because you can't afford the payments. And that you need to buy a bus pass and start taking the bus. <laughs> and then they tell you to stop dining out and, and buying clothes online. And they tell you to cancel Netflix and, and your upcoming holiday to Mexico. They, they tell you all of this, of course, because it's your spending that's the reason for your debt. And suddenly... 
You don't care so much for this person's involvement in your life, telling you how to live it. They're acting as Lord when all you wanted was a Savior. But Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He rescues us from sin, but he also leads us into the fullness of life. Today and into God's future. And we need him to do both. And at the heart of this man's story, at the heart of your story is the question, who is Lord in your life? Church, you will never be a true success if you're holding on to lesser lords. They don't know the way to eternal life. And there is only one way to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's for the Lord Jesus himself to take you by the hand and lead you through the gate and lead you into the fullness of life. I traveled to, um, to Cuba a few years ago to see some of our missionaries there and the work that they are doing. And, and I always get nervous uh, at the, 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 the customs, like at the border. Anyone else there? Do you get nervous? Like, I, I feel like I've done something wrong, but I haven't done any. And I'm like, maybe I have done something wrong. Uh, and uh, I, maybe it's a fear of rejection, I don't know, but I have a real heart. Normally, if we're driving across the border or anything, it's Gina who does the talking to the border guard because they'll ask me a simple question like, what's my name? And I'm like, uh, Jesus. <laughs> and so it's no wonder. But uh, anyways, we were, we were going to Cuba, and, and Cuba's got an interesting kind of uh, flavor at, at the border. I mean, it's uh, an interesting country in terms of their government. And, um, and so anyways... Uh, we, we were prepared for crossing the border and, and getting through immigration, and we were told just to act casual, act natural, and, and to tell the, 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 the immigration officer that we were tourists visit, visiting friends, which is really what we were there for. We weren't there to do work. We were there to visit our friends there and see what they were up to. In other words, we were told just to be good, <laughs> and you'll get in. And isn't that the way it often works? But getting into the kingdom of God isn't like that. There is no measure of goodness that can get us into God's country. And so imagine this, that, that, that I'm at the border agency and, and I get denied at the border because I don't measure up. And, and then they put me in a holding cell and, and I start to sweat a little bit, right? You can imagine yourself in that position. And as you wait, as time goes on, you begin to think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? But then, shockingly, the president of the country walks through the doors and takes me by the hand and welcomes me into the country. It's outrageous. But that, friends, is the only way to enter the kingdom of God. The only way to life everlasting is for the Lord of that kingdom to come to you and to take you by the hand and lead you in. And the only way for the Lord to take you by the hand is for you to let go of all the lesser lords that you're holding on to because you have only room to hold one hand. 
And as you take the one true Lord by the hand, all that is left is to follow where he leads and never let go. Church, it's time to step off the throne of your own life and let Jesus be your Lord as much as he is your Savior. It's time to dethrone the false gods in your life and let the King of Kings take his rightful place. It's time to surrender your desires and will, to submit yourself to his ways over all else. It's time to take him by the hand and let him be your Lord and leader. Let's pray. Jesus, you look upon us with great love. And you are the kind of person, the kind of God that, that loves us so much that you're, you're not willing to just let us wander into darkness. Because Jesus, you know, in the darkness, there's a cliff. And that as we wander in it, we, we can get close to the cliff and, and, and even fall off it. But your love calls to us. Because you are our Savior. And not only that, your love calls to us and says, I am Lord and I know the way out. And so, Jesus, we, we know that you have a specific word for each one of us today, and I don't know what that is. And so even in this moment, Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to all the ears that are open and call us into life. And as we pray, maybe there's someone in this room that has never heard of Jesus, or maybe you've heard of him, but you've never understood his love for you, and that you know in this moment that you need both a Savior and a Lord because something deeply is missing. And as your heart stirs in you, you need to know that that's the Spirit of God saying, I love you. And if that's you, I want to call you to make a decision, even in this moment, to say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. Will you take the lead? Just pray that in the quietness of your heart. Jesus, I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. Will you take the lead of my life? Jesus, that is all of our prayer. We need you to not only be our Savior, but our so take the lead. Speak the hard words, Jesus. We will listen. And fill us with your Holy Spirit to do what only is possible with God. And lead us in your way everlasting. We pray. Amen.